Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're going to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. We're still walking through. A couple months ago, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we just kept walking. If you're new here, we do have a Bible in the pew in front of you, or if you have a a smartphone or something like that, uh, the Bible app has our outline on there as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our message and song thus far and through prayer. And so, Lord, it is my hope that, Lord, nothing that I say personally would matter, Lord, but it's what your word says that sticks with us, Lord. So we'll give you the glory and honor, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll go ahead and, and tell you that there are a lot of preachers preaching and people wanting to hear about something called cheap grace. Yeah, cheap grace. This is grace that lets people think they can follow Jesus without changing their lifestyles. Jesus calls for believers to follow him. And in that call, that is anything but cheap. Why is that? Because following Jesus, it cost him his life to offer salvation for us that is free. The question is, what does he want us to do with that gift. As we look at our passage today, we have seen that he has, as I spoke a moment ago, talked about the Sermon on the Mount, taught us how to live. He's just finished three miracles. I mean, the the popularity of Jesus is through the roof right now at the beginning of his ministry. And so as we look at the scripture today, Jesus gives them somewhat of a reality check. He tells them to, whoa, pump the brakes just for a minute. And let me give you something to think about and something for us to think about as well. But have you heard the saying, and excuse my English, but there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. You've probably heard that. This is a phrase that dates back all the way to 1892. Some of y'all might remember when it started. No, not that bad. But what does it mean? Well, it's a premise that means that there's nothing for free, if you really think about it. Nothing is really for free. Everything will cost you something. Many things you use today, they are seen as free, but they do have costs. I remember when the whole social media thing first started, and they came out with... This is how old I am. I remember when if you had email, you were cutting edge. Email. Some of y'all remember that? You mean I can sign up for an email account for free? Sign me up. So we Yahoo, do we Gmail, do we AOL, do we did all those things? And uh, your parents will teach you kids what those mean. And so we signed up for these free accounts. I'm still using a free account to this day until I realize it's not really free. They take all the messages and all the things that I type and all the things that I click on and they say, oh, this is what he likes. Let's sell his preferences to everybody else. So though I'm using it for free, it's costing me my privacy. And so it went from the Gmails and all that kind of stuff to another outdated product called Facebook. I remember when Facebook... First came out, if you were only only if you were a college student, could you use that? And boy, when they opened the gates and grandma started getting on there, 
People flooded in and the kids left in droves. And so now all the, all the mamas and the papas and the grandparents are on Facebook and now the kids have gone to Instagram and, and Twitter and TikTok and all these other things. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm so out of it. I'll go ahead and tell you. I think if I, if I do one tweet a week, I'm on cutting edge. But these things are billed as free, but they're not. They cost us. They cost us time. They cost us our privacy. They cost us our right to keep our opinions to ourselves and not, not have our um, habits tracked and sold to the highest bidder. Nothing really is for free. Let's say you get a coupon or nowadays you get a special in your app where you can go get a free appetizer. It ain't free. Take a good look if you go in there. Oh, it's free if you buy something to go along with it. There is nothing free. And folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that though Jesus, his gift of, to us of salvation was free for us, it was anything but free. It was costly. Everything costs something. The question is, are we willing to pay? Now, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that the offer of salvation Jesus gives to all who accept it is free. It is a gift. That's what Paul calls it, a gift. But many here this morning have accepted that free gift that is based on God's mercy. It's based on his grace. As I said a moment ago, though it is not free, it cost Jesus his life. Not only did it cost him his life, it cost him his sinless life. Do you know, Jesus was human, just like you and I. He had DNA. He sweat. He had skin. He had all of these things, all of these issues that we have with our bodies. He had them too. He felt pain. He felt remorse. He was emotional. He knew what it was to have a broken heart. He knew what it was to be cast aside. He knew what it was to do not what he wanted, but what his father wanted to do. He knew all of those things. He knows you better than you think he does. And the truth is, once we become believers, the gift is free of salvation. But the Bible says that once we become a Christian, we give him our life. He desires to become, his desires become our desires. He desires for us to be in one with him. He desires for our will to become his will. In other words, we don't say, God, this is what I want, now bless me. We say, God, this is what you want from us. Jesus, this is how you told us to live. Help us get into that. That's the kind of will he wants us to have. And then his suffering will become our suffering. And his glory, praise God, one day will become our glory. So everything costs something again. The question is, are we willing to pay it? Enough of my words. Let's go into God's word here today. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 18, starting with verse, excuse me, Matthew 8, starting with verse 18. And you can already tell by the subtext here, or the, the headline here, that this is going to be a good one. The cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he instructed his disciples to cross the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
We see here that following Jesus costs you your anonymity. Just as I said earlier, is that when we sign up for things that are free, we're actually losing our privacy. And my, I remember when my parents first got on this whole Internet thing, and as much as they could as my parents, and, and they thought, well, I'm not going to give them that information. They might, they might be able to take, take my information and do something with it. And I told them, look, I'm sorry. If you've signed up for this, your privacy is gone. We have this element to think that we have privacy, but the, the more we put ourselves out there, the more our privacy is invaded. And the thing is, is that, as I said a moment ago, Jesus, man, this was a hype train. This was, everybody wanted to be a part of this movement. So here even you have a religious leader, a religious leader that sees Jesus and his disciples doing their thing. They have just completed the sermon. They have just healed lepers. They have just healed people. They have, have restored sight to the blind. They have exercised demons from people. I mean, it was crazy that what was going on. And they said, I want me some of that. We've all been guilty of jumping on the bandwagon, haven't we? But I want you to understand something. There's nowhere Jesus or his disciples could have gone that people wouldn't have recognized him. And my friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God does not call you to be a secret agent. I've heard many people say, well, my faith is my personal belief, and I don't want to share it with anybody. Hey, that's great. You do that. You be like that. But that is not what Jesus has called us to do. He didn't tell us to take this gift and keep it to ourselves under wraps. He told us to go out and share it to the world. And Jesus and his followers were getting noticed. Notice the crowd was following them. Jesus and his disciples could not go anywhere without being noticed. You must remember, if you claim to be a church attender, people are watching you. Some may even follow you to church if you ask them. I dare you to invite somebody to the church. Some of you are doing that. We see the results here today because you have simply invited someone to church. And I praise God for that invitation for each person that is here. And when people see God working in your life, they're going to want to be a part of that. But we also see that those following Jesus wanted to be a part of a movement. Folks, Jesus was handing out miracles like Oprah handed out cars. You get a miracle! You get a miracle! You get a miracle! And he was healing so many people. People wanted to be a part of that. They wanted to be a part of a movement. Because great crowds followed Jesus His opposition had not begun yet. Many would-be disciples wanted to follow him. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's easy to follow something or someone when there is no cost or opposition. When I was putting this together, this came to mind, and some of you all know I like football and, and the Panthers and stuff, and so if you don't like football, just tune out for a second. I'll call you back in in just a minute. But 2015 was a great year for the Carolina Panther fans. Cam Newton was in his fourth year as a quarterback. Luke Keekley was holding down the defense, and they made it all the way to Super Bowl 50, only to be defeated by the Broncos, 24 to 10. But what a ride that was. Fast forward to today. We're looking at a team that has lost most of its starters to other teams or retirement or injuries. We have a new owner. It would be easy to jump ship and choose a new team, which I know people that do that. When their team starts losing and when it looks bleak, oh, I don't like them anymore. I like these people. And they always seem to be the, the number one people, the bandwagon people, you know. 
Everybody's going to have their day coming. Even you South Carolina Gamecock fans, you're going to have your day. You've got to sometime. At some point. But hang in there. We don't need to be bandwagon fans. We don't need to be bandwagon Christians and just wait for the movement to happen. Folks, Jesus called us to start the movement. So following Jesus is much more than being devoted to your favorite team, your athletes or your celebrities. And Jesus wants this religious scribe that asks him or tells him, I will follow you anywhere. He wants to give him a dose of reality, which leads us to our second point. And this, this will go good in life. Do not promise more than you can deliver. And this is so off the top topic, I just, it just floated in my head. I'll go ahead and share it with you. Uh, there was a, uh, one of our youth in, in our former church. He had uh, gone to school, gone to a university, and he was trying to get into dental school. So he filled out application after application and after application. And he put on his application that he was fluent in Spanish. Do I need to continue? <laughs> sure enough, he got into the board and they were interviewing him and said, Oh, we see here that you know some Spanish. How about speaking some for us? And he was like, Taco, burrito, Guadalupe. <laughs> he promised more than he could deliver. Now, praise God, God got a hold of him, and, and he is now a dentist. But I just, I, you got to know this kid. It was so funny. But yet, we cannot promise more than we can deliver. And that's what this scribe was doing. He was saying, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere you want to go. But he didn't know what kind of promise that would be. It said in verse 19 again, we read it again. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, check this out. Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man, that, that phrase, the son of man, underline that or make note of that. The son of man has no place even to lay his head. I'm not going to throw this religious teacher under the bus because I do believe, like you and I, he had the best of intentions. Don't we all, when we first start something, the first of the year we make resolutions for our, our diets and our habits and all of these things. Any of y'all still keeping your New Year's resolution? <laughs> exactly. I'm not raising my hand either. <laughs> we, all, we all try, we have good intentions to start the year, but... Sometimes it just doesn't doesn't happen. I remember accepting Jesus as my Savior in high school with the expectation that I was going to be just like Jesus. Boy, was I in for a rude awakening. I thought that once you get saved, you hear angels every morning when you wake up and, and you have uh, angels' breath just kind of pushing you along through the day. Boy, was I sadly mistaken. I was in for a rude awakening. I face-planted in my faith. A new believer, I face-planted in my faith. I tried going back to my old habits because that's the way I dealt with life. And I, the way I used to cope with life, only to find out that those things didn't bring me enjoyment anymore. I was not perfect. I still had a wild streak. He's like, preach, you preach, you ain't no wild streak. Well, my wild streak may not be half as wild as yours was, but wild is wild, Amen. 
At that point, not only was I a new believer, but I was also a backslidden believer. I had good intentions, but I began to see that the cost attributed to my decision to follow Christ. I realized that when I became a Christian, it cost me my bad habits. And unfortunately, it cost me some of my friends. It cost me those bad influences. It cost me these things. But let me give you the God-honest truth. And if you've been there, you know what I'm saying. We know this even from the life of Job. God will never take away something without giving something back for you that is much better. It's easy to tell God you will go with him wherever he goes until there is a cost, until it costs your reputation, until it costs you your friendships. I know people that have it has cost them their careers because they became a Christian. It's okay to follow Jesus until he calls you to repentance. Now, I'm telling like when this message came up, like I do, I, I, I preach it as it lies. It's right there and I knew, whoo, this is going to be a big one. Because this is not one of those touchy-feely, five points, I'm a better person kind of sermon. This is telling us that if you are a Christian, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost us to have a God-focused life instead of a me-first mentality. It's going to cost you your leisure time. It's going to cost you habits that you refuse to let go of. Yes, there are costs of following Jesus, but the payoff is so worth it. There may not always be earthly, but the payoffs are definitely heavenly. We also see, let's talk about the Son of Man. We surrender to Jesus because He is the Son of Man. Why I wanted you to underline that or make note of that is that this is the first use of Son of Man, the term Son of Man, which is a name Jesus gave for Himself. And it comes from Daniel seven thirteen, And it is definitely a messianic title. So when he says, I am the Son of Man, he is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the King. And to those that were of the Jewish faith, took great offense at that. Because they felt like that only God was in charge. And this guy was some, trying to be something he wasn't. But he establishes here that he is the Messiah. So what does that mean for you? And mean for me. He tells us in verse 20, there is nowhere to go. Foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. My friends, if you are serving Jesus to get something, if you are serving Jesus so that you can be a part of something, of a movement without costing you anything, if you think that you are going to at the end of your, I mean, just give me heaven. That's the only reason I became a Christian. Folks, if all you do is accept Jesus Christ for fire insurance to keep you out of hell and to keep you in heaven, you have lost the biggest blessing of life, which is the blessings that God has on a day-to-day basis. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'll ask you, those of you that are believers, hear me out just for a minute. Those of you that are true believers, hear, hear me out just for a minute. If you found out today a meteor hit this church and we all died in it and you found out that the scientists were right you found out that the politicians were right you found out that all the other 
uh, cults were right and that, that there is no Christianity, there is no Jesus. And all this is just a crutch made up by man. Would you change anything that you've done? If you are a believer from the time you were saved, would you change and say, man, I made a mistake. I could have really been having a fun life. I can't speak for you, but I can only speak for myself. I know that when I was running my life, I was running it in a ditch. And I know that my life today, every day with Jesus, is so much better than any day I lived without him. And if I am wrong, and there is no system, if I have dedicated my life to, to God and to Jesus and telling people about Him, and I find out that it's, it's not right at the end, I have lost nothing because my life with God is nothing. Can you say that? But here's the truth. Oh, here's the truth. If I'm right, which I know I am because the Bible says it is, that I am, oh, what a day that's gonna be. If I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. If I'm right, I've gained everything. So whatever cost it took in this life will not matter when I go to the next. It's a deferred payment, so to speak. Now, anyone in here that has ever taken a family trip are familiar with this phrase, Are we there yet? That's what this religious leader wanted to know. Are we there yet? He wanted to know, hey, are we at that place of prominence? Can I be called one of your dudes? Can I be called one of your disciples? Can I be a part of this movement? Because he was wanting to go where Jesus was headed. Many other disciples thought the same thing. They really thought that they were going to be in Jesus' entourage and they were going to have fame, fortune, and power in this world. Until the crucifixion. We follow Jesus in this life because we know that our eternal home and rewards are there in the afterlife. We follow Jesus because he is worthy of our devotion. Jesus demands our loyalty because he is right. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He is the Son of Man. And he deserves our allegiance. He deserves our cost. He deserves our love because he gave so much for us. You show me one religion. You show me one cult. You show me one belief to where the supreme leader subverts himself and does something for his believers. Every other cult, every other lie says that we have to do something to please him. Jesus is the only one that said, I will come to give to you. It will cost me something. Nothing should be placed above our full commitment to Him. Then the third thing, do not say it unless you mean it. Do not say it unless you mean it. Matthew eighteen twenty-one to 22 says, Another of His disciples said, Lord, First, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Well, that was pretty harsh of Jesus to say, wasn't it? This guy really wanted to follow Jesus, but he had to bury his dad, right? There's only one problem. His dad, his dad wasn't dead yet. 
That would be like me saying, look, my dad's getting old and, and I can't really go anywhere right now. But if you can hold around for a couple of years, then I'll follow you. That's what he was saying. Let me be a part of your movement, but it can't cost me anything right now. Have any of y'all, have any of y'all ever had somebody or known somebody that had a case of the meaning twos? You ever heard of the meaning twos? It's a terrible, deadly virus. The meaning twos. Have you ever known someone that had a bad case of them? I've been guilty of it at times myself. You know how it goes. Someone promises you they're going to do something, but they never get it done. And when you ask them about it, they say, oh, man, I've been meaning to. I'm not sure if meaning to is a southern word, but it's sure used a lot. In this next passage, we saw an unnamed disciple have a serious case. Other meaning to Jesus, I'm meaning to follow you, but I just, I, now's a bad time. Folks, when you tell Jesus you want to follow him, you better do it. When you tell Jesus you're going to follow him, you better do it. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. We'll sing it. We'll sing all the Chris Tomlin songs. We'll do all of this great stuff. We can raise our hands and we can have a big old pep rally in here. But when we say follow Jesus, it means to follow Jesus. And I got news for you. His road leads to a cross, but it ends with a crown. The disciple's father was not dead, but he would die one day. But then again, won't we all? If his father had already been dead, the man would have been occupied with the burial. So he wouldn't have been there in the first place. But evidently he wanted to wait until after his father's death, which might have been years. Jesus' words seem very harsh, but they made the point. He said, go back and look at it. Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. My biggest fear is that there is somebody that will be either in this church or in another church or wherever they may be where the Lord knocks on their heart. And they're going to, he's going to say, follow me. And they're going to say, mm, not right now. It's a bad time. I hear people say, oh, there is no way I can follow Jesus. You don't know how bad I am and what I've done. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. There's nothing that you can do. To separate you from Jesus' love other than deny it. Jesus told this man that the spiritually dead should bury the physically dead. And that the spiritually alive should be busy proclaiming the kingdom of God. There is a big idea here. Look, those that have no desire for spiritual things, let them bury the physically dead. But those that have a desire to serve the Son of Man the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let them go out and be about the Lord's work. It was not harsh. It was honest. And if Jesus is calling you to follow him, that means he is working in your life. I love that. If Jesus is calling you to follow him, that means that he is working in your life. That means that you are spiritually alive to his invitation to follow him. But if you come up with an excuse to not follow him, you're the one missing out. 
ask. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he means now and with your whole heart. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he means now and with your whole heart. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll give you a great example of this. It happens all the time. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Your wife will say, honey, will you do something for me real quick? Yes, honey. Will you go something like take the clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer? Or will you take out the trash? Yes, honey, I'll do that. I had a case of the meaning twos. And how do you know you're in trouble, guys? When whatever they ask you to do, they start doing it. You know that you are in trouble. If I get asked to take out the trash, and all of a sudden I hear the trash bag rumbling and her picking it up, I know that I'm done. I know that I should have, she expected me to get up, right? She didn't care where I was at, what I was doing, what I was in the middle of. She needed it done now. And look, I'm under the bus. She's right. I should have got up and I should have done it. So just like when my wife called, asked me to do something, I need to do it before she does. But when Jesus calls you to follow him, he means now and with your whole heart. You will get nowhere with Jesus with half-hearted devotion. Jesus says, look, if you have half-hearted devotion towards me, it makes me so sick to my stomach that I want to vomit. You're either going to be hot or you're either going to be cold. And I tell people, and I'll say it again, if you are straddling the fence between living for God and living for the world, pick a side and quit being miserable. If you want to live that world, go all out and live it and party hard. But you will give an account for that. Or if you want to live for Jesus, go ahead, sell out and do it. Because you will reap the benefits of that as well. In conclusion, I would just say if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. If the cause is great enough, in whatever you do, whether it be in your job, in your family, in your sports, for your kids, for your grandkids, at church, whatever it may be. If the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. I think of my dad who was, he once had a, a really good high paying job as a truck driver. Then because he didn't want to move, he took a job from driving the truck to now loading the truck, unloading the truck, and driving the truck for a much smaller company because... His son had got established in a church. He knew that if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. I would not be here today without that kind of sacrifice. And you here today would not be here without the sacrifice of others. And some of you are currently sacrificing a lot for your kids and your grandkids and for your God. Just don't get discouraged Because if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. There's a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he talks about the cost of discipleship. And in his book, he addresses that grace Jesus extends to you is anything but cheap. He says one of the most quoted parts of the book deals with the distinction of Bonhoeffer making between cheap and costly grace. Cheap grace is preaching all forgiveness without requiring any repentance. 
Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it, to feel a warm fuzzy in a worship service is great. But that's not the end goal. The Lord is pulling at your heart to serve him. The Lord is pulling at your heart to repent from your sins, not manage them. Because if you try to manage your sins, actually they're managing you. I always remember my first car because I had to pay for it. It wasn't much to others. And many of my friends in high school had cars given to them that were really nice. But what made that car different for me? I paid for it. I kept insurance on it. And it was something that cost me something. And that's what made it special. There are a lot of people preaching and wanting to hear about cheap grace today that tells people that they can follow Jesus but not change their lifestyles. That is not grace. That is a lie. Please hear Paul's words today as I leave this screen up. Galatians 2.20 My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Does that sound like a Christian that can believe and keep their ungodly lifestyle? Is Paul selling cheap grace here? No, he is saying that I have been crucified. And it's not about me. It's about him. Do you want a more powerful faith? Do you want a growing faith? Do you want a God-centered family this morning? Do you want peace and purpose in your life? The offer is free, but it will cost you something. And I know that in a a group like this, 99.9% of you in here have prayed a prayer to receive Christ. Many of you are, are following the Lord, and some of you are probably further along than I am. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. There's somebody here today that has prayed a prayer, but it has cost them nothing. There has been no change. There's not even been the desire to change. Jesus wants you to follow him today. Not only in word, but in action and lifestyle. So the invitation is this today, as we do every Sunday. If there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus Christ, that has not experienced that free gift of grace, that unconditional grace, that no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven and start with a clean slate. This is your moment. This is the time. That pulling that you're feeling, this may be the only time it happens, but that pulling is calling you to come forward in a group of believers like this. Don't worry, we're not going to pound on you. We're not going to look down on you because you are no better or no worse than us. You don't want to come by yourself, grab a hand of somebody, and they'll come with you. But we will rejoice as God brings another believer into the family. Well, there's many Christians here today that have prayed the prayer but are doing nothing with it. I suggest you get on your face and your knees before God today and confess that you haven't been doing what you said you would do and ask for His mercy and grace for forgiveness and the power to move from this day to continue. Maybe you just have a prayer need, want to come to the altar, or wherever you may be right there. If you want to make a decision today, in the body of believers that love you, 
and will encourage you and support you in that decision. If you want to make a decision today, today is the day. This moment, this time, this verse, this note. And I'm not promising you when you leave this place that that opportunity will be given again. Because I don't know. It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit when he pulls on your heart. Would you stand and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message, Lord, that Jesus has given us in his word. The Lord, there is a cost. And if there's somebody here today that wants to pay that cost by giving Jesus their life, may they do it today. Maybe somebody wants to get serious and, and repent of their not following him like he should. May you encourage them to do the same thing. Because I guarantee you, if there's one, there's five. Maybe this is just a time for us to take what we've learned and go out into this world. Wherever it may be, Lord, if there's someone to respond, may they do it today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.